0: book with you. Our hosts have those, and they would get you one if you throw your hand up in the air and say, hey, I need one of those. Um, We're going to go to part 10 today, part 10. And so if you want to turn there, I wish there were page numbers, but there aren't. And so you can turn over to there. And then also in the back, the appendix eight and appendix nine. So if you want to kind of maybe fold a page and maybe refer to those, uh, we're not going to read all of that, but man, as we as Christy was saying, uh, shout out to like who you are. <laughs> I was like, wow, just open your book right there, and you can just shout out who you are. Um, they they do such a great job. This week of um, talking about identity and who you are, and I'm going to add to some of the things they share. Uh, I'm not going to insult your intelligence and think you can't read that on your own. And so, hopefully, what I share today supplements and complements what they've shared in the book. And uh, I am going to disagree with them at one point today, and uh, that's going to be fun. So, I'm going to do it agreeably, though. I'm going to disagree agreeably. So, Uh, As we started through this journey series that we're talking about, this idea of we're on this journey, it's never ending, we are walking with the Lord, we used to sing the the whole songs about walking with the Lord back in the day, Um, that's the reality, and so sometimes we focus so much on destinations, like where we're going to go, we focus on heaven, like I can't wait to get to heaven someday, well like just bring heaven to where you are today, like, I know that there's still a longing for something more, but we, we don't want to race to false finish lines. Like, we want to just learn what it is to live in relationship with God, to sit at what we call the table of intimacy. But in the Journey book, they've talked about these three relationships that all of us are involved in every single day, and that relationship with God needs to be unbroken. Like, I need to learn to communicate with Him day after day after day after day. Uh, I need to learn that in the chaos of life, when I've got toddlers running around me, or I've got people at work yelling at me, that I am still connected to my source. Like it's easy in this room at times to 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 you know it's quiet, the music's playing, praise God, I sense His presence. But can we, in the midst of crazy, stay seated at the table, the table of intimacy? Uh, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So when you're reading something on Facebook, Jesus is there. Okay, so make sure he's a part of your post also. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he wants you to recognize he's with us. And we need to learn to communicate with him, listen back and forth. So then the table of communion, we sit at with other followers of Jesus, the the body of Christ, this local body. But even beyond that, uh, people all over the city, people all over the world uh, that we are connected to, and then the the people that are not following Christ. We sit at the table of connection. So these tables, these relationships, we, we continuously sit at them. And so this booklet has processed, like, how to do that. We've talked about it. We're going to continue to talk about it. But then a few weeks ago, starting with part seven, we started talking about what is a disciple. What's it mean to follow Christ? And again, our key verse for this whole process of our concept of discipleship comes from Matthew 28, 19 and 20. As you go, make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the reality of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, All that I have taught you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Remember, the command is not to go. We're all going, all week long. The command is everywhere we go, make disciples. Now, some of the people that we're called to make disciples with are going to be in the body of Christ already. That's a little bit easier. Some of them are not going to be in the body of Christ. How do I make a disciple of someone? I bring them closer. That's what I do. Everyone is on a journey, and I believe the destination for everybody is Jesus. And I just want to take them one step closer to Jesus. That's, that's my goal in every conversation, in every person I encounter. I want to take them one step closer to Jesus. Whether they are already a believer or whether they're a pre-believer, I don't know. But I'm bringing you closer to Jesus. I don't always do that well. There are times that I probably push people away from Jesus. Uh, You do too, but we, we repent when we're aware, and we just move closer to Jesus, and that's what really today is all about. And so last week, we talked about practicing the way, practicing the way of Jesus, like how disciples are made. Um, it's not it, it, the spiritual disciplines, not just prayer and Bible reading and going to church, but generosity, solitude, Sabbath, slowing, all of those things. And all of us are on a journey, and these disciplines help us to practice. Well, interestingly, this last week at chapel um, at James Valley, the, the speaker was Matt Magnus. If you know Matt, he... Um, he's an auctioneer in town, so it's really cool. I love to listen to auctioneers. But he, he talked to us about how he went to auctioneer school and how he had to learn how to be an auctioneer. Like, they don't just get up there and do it. You have to practice it. Uh, he gave us one quick tongue twister. You say, red leather, yellow leather. And you just say it over and over and over and over, and you keep repeating it. And then he has another longer tongue twister. But you have to learn to enunciate, you got to open your mouth and talk. And so when you say red leather, yellow leather, you have to really, like, open your mouth. But he compared that to spiritual disciplines. Like, if you want to develop character, it's not just going to be imparted to you by the Spirit of God. you got to practice. You've got you to do the disciplines, and you got to practice. And he challenged our students. Hey, when you, when you go to church, look around you and look for someone that's following Jesus well. And then go up to them and say, hey, would you mentor me? And as soon as he said that, I thought, as adults, are we actually following Jesus well enough that kids would come to us? That's a good challenge. Am I actually paying attention to my life and engaged enough in a local body of believers that some young person could look around the room and say, they're following Jesus well. I'm going to ask them. And if not, Start. Start. It's not about guilt and shame. It's about, hey, this is serious. Stop complaining about the generation that's here and start being worthy of someone to be emulated and followed. Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen, Pastor Tom. That's a good word for me today. So you need to start being that type of person because who knows who's watching your life and waiting for someone that would help mentor them and teach them and be able to help grow them. And so that was a great challenge. That had nothing to do with the the sermon today, but man, it was just so profound that I wanted to share it. So today, part 10, who are you? Who are you? Um, Because here's the thing. This is all about identity, identity. And our identity matters, especially when we talk about spiritual disciplines, because when we're doing poorly in the disciplines, we tend to start thinking that's our identity. But our identity is never what I do. It's always who I am. Always. And it it sounds like it's so simple, but I promise you this is the hang-up of a multitude of believers today. This is one of our greatest challenges. To recognize that I am who this book says I am. I feel like finishing it. I can do what it says I can do. I boldly confess my mind. And some of you are like, I can't believe you're saying that right now. But it's truth. I mean, just because some weird stuff comes out of people's mouth doesn't mean everything that comes out is weird. So learn to listen and take what you can from everybody. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, praise God. But this idea of shame and guilt because I'm not doing well enough. Man, that has got to be dealt with in the body of Christ. Like you have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. But there's also the flip side of this coin where apathy and laziness can kind of creep in because we're like, well, you know, thank God for his grace. It doesn't really matter how I live. False. I mean, the Bible says don't act thoughtlessly. Pay attention to how you live. Uh, it doesn't, just because we talk about the, who we are in Christ, that should remind us hey, this type of behavior that I'm doing right now, that's not okay because this is who I am and it doesn't match that. So I need to stop doing that because that's not who I am. If I'm living in sexual immorality, hey, I'm a child of God. Then that sexual immorality has no place in my life. That's what the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians 5 and 6. He goes through a list of sins and he says, hey, why are you living like the Gentiles? You're not a Gentile. You're a child of God. Live like it. Walk in the light. And that's the call. And so, back in, so some of us fall on that side of shame and guilt. Some of us fall on that side of laziness. But as we go through this process recognizing who we are and walking that out, hopefully we find that, that tension—I don't like the word balance—that tension between the two. And so today we're going to talk—we're uh, uh, going to take a little bit of a journey through Appendix 8 and 9 and Part 10, Who Am I? Because if we're going to make disciples, I think we ought to talk a little bit about where does that—where does it begin? Like, um, I believe discipleship starts by a decision to follow Jesus, is that a sinner's prayer? I don't know. It doesn't have to be. It's a decision to follow. The moment you make a decision to follow Jesus, discipleship begins. Um, because you can't make a decision to follow Jesus without like, recognizing what he said and, and following it. And so as we talk through this, I hope that makes a little bit more sense. But a lot of times we like to start with like, this concept of, hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? Well, how about if you live tomorrow? Do you know how you're going to live? Like, I mean, it's not, about, uh, it's not just about what happens on the other side of this life. It's what's happening now. Um, I don't want you to worry about punching your ticket to heaven. I just want you to worry about following Jesus today. And if you follow Jesus today and every day, your ticket is punched. And so let's not focus on the end. Let's focus on today and surrendering to Jesus. And even the concept uh, of asking Jesus into our hearts... <laughs> Jesus isn't going to come into your heart because he's at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for you. And I promise you, you want him there because he is interceding on your behalf. But the Spirit of God is going to come and live in you. And now I know that we've tried to make it like understandable for children. And so we've made some words and some changes. But how about let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. Now, I know that some of the things that I say, if you drift in and out of consciousness today are going to make it feel like I'm preaching heresy, but I promise that I have texted my friend who is my expert on theological studies and in the Assemblies of God doctrine, and I said, am I going into heresy? Uh, And he assures me I am not. He could be wrong. Uh, But if so, if you think I am, you can come to me. Because here's what I believe. This book is infallible. That means it does not make mistakes. But our interpretation of it is not infallible. We can make mistakes. And so we have to constantly be asking questions and learning and growing. And today we're going to talk about that process of identity because identity shapes us. It shapes our beliefs, it shapes our actions. And I'm going to say it again what I do is not who I am. I am a human being, I am not a human doing. Like, it's not by accident that we, we are human. People will say all the time, well, what do, you, what do you do? And we say, well, I'm a pastor. No, I'm not a pastor. I pastor, but I, I'm not a pastor. My identity is not a pastor. My identity is solely human being, son of God. That's it. Now, as a human being, son of God, this is what I do. But what I do does not define who I am. I mean, even in the, like, what we do with like, Al- Alcoholics Anon- Anonymous, we like to say, well, hi, I'm an alcoholic. No, alcoholism may be what I do, but it is not who I am. I am not defined by my actions, I am defined by who God says I am. Now I struggle with certain behaviors and certain decisions, and I'm not going to deny them, I'm not going to pretend like they're not there, but I do not want to label myself by anything other than son or daughter of God, because that's who this book says that I am. So as a human being, I am created, you are created, we are created, in the image of God. That's who we are. We were created for partnership with God. Part of that partnership is relationship with Him. Part of that partnership is representing Him. Part of that partnership is ruling over the earth. So some of that is identity, and some of that is calling. Okay? We were created for partnership. We've got to know who we are before we fulfill our calling as to what we do. And sometimes we focus so heavily on what we do without recognizing who we are, and we burn out. Because we're forever trying to please Him, and we're forever trying to please everyone else, and we can't. You have to know who you are, and from that place of identity, then you fulfill the calling that God has put on your life as a son or daughter of God. So Adam and Eve in the garden are the the prototype of what we were supposed to do, what we were supposed to be. And they chose in that moment in the garden to reason that they knew better than the Almighty. They choose that when God said, don't eat of that tree, hey, that tree looks good. I mean, we're still doing this today because we're clear on what God has said and we're like, well, but you know. I mean, God, if He lived today, He he does not change. So it may look good to the eye, and it may be pleasing for food or for any other selfish indulgence. That does not make it right. And if, you've, if you give yourself to that, you will find that that path leads to death, as Adam and Eve did. The moment they ate of the tree, shame, guilt, condemnation, instantly, instantly. Why? Because I believe the glory of God departed from them. I believe Adam and Eve, well, they're like, how did they not know they were naked? Well, they were covered in the glory of the Lord. But the moment they chose to go their own way, sin and the glory of the Lord could not be in the same place, so boom, it departed. And then they felt the shame, the guilt, the blame, all of that that happened. And so, coming back to this idea of identity, before Christ, our identity seems to be marked by sin. It's marked by sin. Um, we 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 label people we label ourselves based on that but the moment we come to christ our identity shifts he's given us his identity his righteousness his holiness all of it gets put on us you remember these tell me you remember these remember why we made these because when this is off this is who i am when i put on christ this is what god sees this is who i am has nothing to do with what I do. This is who I am. This is what God sees. He sees Jesus because I have decided to follow him. So for sin, like what, what is sin? Like what is sin? Lots of definitions out there. Sin is breaking the commands of God, the teachings of God. It's missing the mark. Some people will say it that way. And so when we choose to go our own way, sin. Romans chapter 3, we love to focus in on Romans 3.23, but let's put that in context. Romans 3.22, this righteousness, do you notice how he starts with righteousness, not sin? Oh, isn't that interesting? We always start with sin. Every gospel presentation that I hear these days is all about sin. Sin, 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 sin. And yet, often Paul starts with righteousness. He starts with Genesis chapter 1, not Genesis chapter 3. Calling, identity. This is who you were created to be. Now, sin has marred that. Sin has taken the glory of God away, but you, it can be brought back. Like, was there? Gone. Back. Like, start the gospel presentation with that. That's more inviting than you're a sinner. Eh, that, I wonder why people get turned off by our gospel presentations. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Through what? Through faith. Not through your performance. Through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, the glory of God is who we were created to be as image bearers. We were meant to carry the glory of God. The image of God is now given back to us through Christ Jesus, not attained. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. It's given. Now, you, you, oh, I know, but, but, but don't you saying we don't have to live it out? No, we do have to live it out, but it's already there. Stop working so hard to make it be there or make it look like it's there. It's there and live from it. The glory of God is what Adam and Eve lost. It's what God restores to us through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him, Christ, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. In other words, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension has now brought righteousness back to us. The glory of the Lord returns to us through what Christ has done. Discipleship starts by acknowledging that we were created in the image of God for partnership. That's step one. I was created for partnership. I was created for relationship. I was created for representation. I was created for ruling. That's Who I am, that's what I've been called to do. So all human life has value because of that. All human life has value. In the womb, out of the womb. It all has value. On every side of this argument, I don't understand why some people think there's more value in the womb or more value out of the womb. It's all valuable. Because there is life in the image of God. But falling short of the image of God does not mean that God has left us. It doesn't erase the value. Now, the glory of the Lord is not on us. We're marred by it. But if you go to the appendix, the appendix will tell you that part two of the, what do you do after you acknowledge, you know, that you're created for a relationship with God. You have to acknowledge that sin has broken the relationship with God, and we're now separated from God. Please listen carefully. I believe step two is acknowledging we've gone our own way. It's acknowledging I've been selfish, I've been unkind, I've been deceitful, I've been impure. Whether I know have known about it or I didn't know about it, I have sinned, okay? However, does sin separate me from God? Here's what I believe. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Salvation only comes through Jesus, But when we say sin separates us from God based on Romans 3.23, is that what Romans 3.23 said? It says all fall short of the glory of God. Does that mean we're separated from God? I don't know. I mean, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul says he's not very far from any of us and it's in him that we live and move and have our being to a room full of sinners, Gentiles. So if he's not far from us, am I separated from him? I get it. I get we're talking semantics here. But I think sometimes we misunderstand what's happening because I don't believe God ever stops pursuing us. If if we were really separated from God, we wouldn't be here because by Him all things are created and in Him all things are held together. He's with us. He's pursuing us. Now, I cannot represent Him. I cannot carry the glory of God apart from salvation through Jesus Christ. But if you think back, Adam and Eve in the garden sinned, correct? Correct. Where's God? In the garden. Present with them. I mean, the glory departed, but he's there. Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother. Where's God? Right there. I'm not saying that there's not sin. I'm not saying... But focus here. God is always present. He can be even leading and guiding and helping. He is kind to the unjust. So to think that, uh, you know, people that are in the world are totally (laughs) God-forsaken. False. The image of God is absolutely marred in anyone who does not follow Jesus. But God is still present. I mean, God spoke with Abraham. Was Abraham sinless? He spoke with Moses on the mountain. Was, was Moses sinless? No. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say words matter. Words matter. Keep it simple. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. We fall short of the glory of God, but the Spirit of God is always pursuing us. So when I explain salvation, I say we were created in the image of God for relationship, for partnership, We've all gone our own way, and as a result of that, we've sinned. We've broken what God intended for us. However, Christ Jesus is the solution. The Son of God, Christ Jesus, provides the solution. In Philippians chapter 2, tells us that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus is God. He is. He came as a human being. When he came as a human being, he laid aside his rights and privileges as God, God, and he came fully human. That does not mean he was not fully God. He was fully God. However, he did not access his Godness on earth, meaning he lived as an example to us who follow him full of the Spirit to how we can live. If Jesus did it, so can we. This idea that Jesus did things because he was God doesn't line up with what this book teaches. Jesus came as a human, laid aside his rights and privileges. But you're like, well, Pastor Tom, how did did he do it then? You know how he did it? He was able to be filled with the Spirit. Remember it is baptism. Baptism. The Spirit of God descended upon Him like a dove. Jesus was sinless. Because He was sinless, He was able to have the glory of God restored to Him before us. Everything He did on earth, He did through communication with the Father by way of the Spirit. You and I put faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes upon us. You and I can do what He did. Wow, that is great news, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not heaven. That's entrance into the kingdom. Today, you get eternal life. You get the Spirit of God living in you. And everywhere you go, you are a temple. You can go about like Jesus, doing good, healing people, raising the dead. You don't do it according to your will. You do what you see the Father doing the same way Jesus did. I do what the Father's doing. The Father's always at work. People walk around with their heads down, following Jesus. The world is so bad. Everything's so bad. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Get your head up and look because the fields are white for harvest. Stop saying nobody's interested. Stop saying nobody cares. The fields are white for harvest. The problem is we're not letting the Spirit be our eyes. We're using our own eyes. We're using our own reason. We're reasoning in our hearts that those people are rejecting Jesus. Those people are rejecting who we say. Well, why? Because we walked up to them and said, did you know you're a sinner? Did you know if you died today you were going to go to hell? Maybe start with why they were created. Don't skimp on the sin. It's an important part. It's just not the first step. Trying to make you rethink it. So after we acknowledge, we've gone our own way, we acknowledge what Christ did for us. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended to the Father. All of those are important. We don't have time to talk about it today, but we don't like to really talk about all of them, but they're all very, very important. And because of that, because He did it in our place, you and I can access the Father. We have the righteousness of Christ. Now what happens next? We talked about this last week. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's it. Take His yoke. What's His yoke? How He interpreted it, this book. Whatever Jesus did... Go and do likewise. Sermon over. Haha, <laughs> you wish. <laughs> but in essence, that's it. Go and do likewise. We try to take the words of Jesus and say, Well, Jesus couldn't have really meant that. Maybe he really did. Maybe he really did mean you should love your enemies. Maybe he really did. You should meant you should do good to those who hate you. Maybe he really meant you should pray for those who persecute you. Maybe he really meant it. In fact, he did, because he came to show us how to live. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Are you grateful for that? That today, God is at work for your good. Praise God. That's not a trick question. I am glad he's at work. Who have been called according to his Purpose. I've taken His yoke. For those who God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Again, if Jesus did it, So can we empowered by his spirit. 2 Corinthians 5:17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, not will come, not one day will be here. It has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. And yet we're still on a journey. You feel the tension? It's already been done. It's already been given to me. So when I don't measure up, I recognize, hey, that's not who I am. Who I am is here. It's not an excuse to sin. Paul says that clearly. Don't don't use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. You're going to miss it. Be humble enough to say, you know what? I missed that. There are people in our world today that they never say they're wrong. They don't even know how to say that. It's all about, well, you misunderstood me. Just say I was wrong. It's that easy. Man, I I apologize. I was wrong. See how hard that was? Because when you fail to apologize, when you fail to acknowledge the mistakes you've made, there's no grace. You want grace? You say, I did it wrong. I shouldn't have reacted that way. I didn't react that way because of how you acted. I reacted that way because I let myself be out of control. And I did not use the self-control provided by the Holy Spirit in that moment. I was wrong. Well, what if they don't apologize? Not worrying about them. I got to worry about me. I mean, I'm worried about you too, but I got to worry about me. Because when we're standing there, I don't get to have you there. It's me and him. Did you listen? Did you not listen? Every idle word that comes from our mouths. Wow. Think about that. It's not supposed to be fear, shame, and guilt. It's supposed to be soberness. Take his yoke means don't live thoughtlessly. Act like it matters. In case you're not convinced yet, how about Romans 8.11? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. See, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was given not so that people could be right with God, but so that people who entered into partnership with God knew how to live as his representatives. The law was never given so that people could be made right with God. That wasn't the purpose. This was so that the people who were in relationship with God, who accepted his invitation Abraham accepted his invitation. And because of that, God taught him how to live. The people of God, as a result of Abraham, coming out of Egypt, the Israelites, God brings them to Mount Sinai pre-law. No law has been really given yet. And he says, I brought you to myself. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Here's how you live as a kingdom of priests. And he gives them this book. Galatians chapter 2. Paul says we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified nor should they ever have thought they would be. So again, chapter 3 verse 5, again I ask you, Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because of the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We read today Leviticus chapter 16. Well, we didn't read it, but I alluded to it. Leviticus chapter 16, every year there was a day of atonement to make atonement for the sins of the people. God knew they weren't going to do it all perfectly. It wasn't about doing it perfectly. It was about continuing to follow it. When you made mistakes, there were sacrifices you could make on behalf. Praise God that now we don't have to make sacrifices sacrifices, we go to our mediator, Christ Jesus, and we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do, Jesus does, and he even cleanses our conscience. And Jesus made a sacrifice once and for all so that the blood of bulls and goats no longer has to be offered. It's not like God totally changed how he was doing it. He just made it so that he could put his spirit in us. The people of God forsook the covenant. They walked away from it. It wasn't that they didn't do it perfectly. They were never going to do it perfectly. They just walked away from it. They walked away from the sacrifices. They walked away from following it. They just left the journey. As a result, they went into exile. In exile, Ezekiel prophesies to them, and he says this in chapter 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, I'm going to put my glory back on you because you have no chance of, filling it, of fulfilling the law without it. Don't you just love that God has had this plan from the beginning And sometimes we're like, well, why didn't Jesus just die right away? Can't answer that. I don't know. It's a good question. Austin Bevere says it this way. Look at this. The covenant was never about keeping the rules. The covenant has always been an invitation to become the people of God, joining him in the rescue and the restoration of the cosmos. We are recreated in God to become his ambassadors, reflecting God's restorative justice, love, and righteousness to our world. The problem is sometimes we just don't believe it. And the biggest battle is in our mind to remind ourselves of who we are in him. Colossians chapter 3, you died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And you're like, "Whoa, Pastor Tom, I thought you said we already had the glory." Oh, I do. And when the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, "We go from glory to glory to glory," Meaning, the glory of God comes on us at salvation, but that doesn't mean you can't move from glory to glory to glory. You can't look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. You can reflect the glory of God more every single day the way Moses' face reflected the glory of God by speaking with him face to face. See, if you're just going to say the sinner's prayer and hang on till Jesus comes, all you're going to reflect is you. But if you're going to sit at the table of intimacy and you're going to day after day take His yoke on you and you're going to live this out in the community of believers and you're going to acknowledge your flaws and you're going to recognize your mistakes and you're going to confess your sins, you're going to learn to reflect the glory of God and everywhere you go, you're going to be the light of the world. Man, that is some good news. I am trusting that you are more excited than you are letting on today. Whew! So... Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. See, how we live is important. But understanding who we are has to come first. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that in turn we can offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him because that's our spiritual act of worship. You try to put the cart before the horse, you are going to mess up yourself and a whole lot of other people because it's not meant to be that way. When I put on Christ and I tell a lie, I love this example, but people crucify me for it. But I am not a liar. I am a son of God who told a lie. And the Apostle Paul would say to me, stop telling lies. You're a child of God. That has no place in your life. He wouldn't say, stop being a liar. How often do we get that wrong? Especially in our frustration at people. Stop being that. How about stop doing that? And remind each other, that is not who you are. You are a child of God. But oftentimes, we like to step back from people and say, well, your behavior clearly shows me you're not a child of God. Really? How's your perfect behavior been? And I know that there are some sins that are way more visible than other sins. But be careful. Because as as Westerners, we like everything to be in these nice little boxes. We want to know who's in We want to know who's out. We want to know, like, A, B, C. It just doesn't work that way. Bring people closer to Jesus today. Remind people. If they claim to be a follower of Christ, remind them, hey, the Bible says that that has no place in your life as a follower of Christ. Praise God. So put that off. Put it off. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, if you're not going to sit at the table of communion with people, don't, don't lob your stones from a distance. That that was the problem of the Pharisees. They wouldn't sit at the table with people and then talk about the relationship, the things that needed to change. They just did it from afar and they put heavy burdens on people that they couldn't carry. Jesus came, sat at a table with people where they were. He didn't didn't deny their sin. He just helped them carry it. He just helped them walk through it. That's what we're talking about. I want to share one last verse. You guys have been a great bunch. I know you're totally engaged with me. I haven't spoken over your head at all. Leviticus chapter 16, I want to go back to it. Remember we talked about it, the whole bulls and blood, goats, mm, picture of Jesus, scapegoat. Man, Leviticus chapter 16, so much symbolism, but the end of the chapter, verse 29, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the 7th month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. All of the, everything shuts down. The other priests are not even allowed to do anything. Like, only Aaron the high priest is acting in this moment. Why? Because forever etched in the minds of people is your atonement is never based on what you do. It's always what has been done for you. In Christ Jesus, he is no longer counting our sins against us. Unfortunately, if you don't choose to take his yoke on you, if you don't choose to acknowledge his way is right, then all of that is for nothing, at least on your part. Because you have to make the decision to follow him if you, want to take his, if you want to receive that benefit. Paul says it best in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved. It's through faith and it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So today, every one of us has been invited into partnership. Every single one of us invited into partnership. If you're watching online, You're invited into partnership. It starts by acknowledging you were created for that. You were created for partnership with God, relationship with Him. You were created to walk with Him. You were created to live with Him. You were created to rule with Him, with Him, not just for Him, as His representative. But we have to acknowledge we've gone our own way. There is not a human being on this planet that has not gone their own way. Somewhere along the way, You have done it. Thank God, Christ took care of that for us. Sin is our problem, salvation is the solution. You have to believe on what Christ did. He died, he was buried, he was raised to death, raised from the life, raised from the dead, back to life, physical body, ascended to the Father, so that he could send the Spirit to live inside of us. So that you and I can take on the yoke of Jesus and we can live according to his life by the power of the Spirit. Man, there's not a lot of people in this room right now, but if everyone in this room would catch this and live it, we'd change Huron. We'd change the city. How do I know? In a few years, they turned the world upside down. No internet, no bicycles, no media, no nothing. They turned the world upside down because they understood it. They were people of the book that understood what Jesus had done for them. They surrendered to the yoke of their, their rabbi and they followed him, willing to lay down their lives even to the point of death. how will you respond to that invitation today? And so, Father, thank you for the invitation to join you in your partnership, in partnership with you. Now, thank you for the relationship that you created us for. God, help us. Help us to align what we believe with what your word says. Help us to fully yield to your word. I pray for each one today. God, there are those in this room that have already responded to you, have already acknowledged you. They were created for partnership. They've already acknowledged they've gone their own way. They've already put confidence in what Christ has done for them. And God, they are already living, filled with your spirit day after day. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you just continue to encourage them, continue to strengthen them, continue to grow them, God, that they would hear that challenge for, that, that I shared earlier, that they would be someone will, worthy of being followed. God, there's a generation that's coming after us that needs godly fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers in their lives that don't have that in their lives. And so may we be worthy of emulating. But for those in this room, for those that are watching online, that somewhere along the line have not done one of those steps. Holy Spirit, I pray today that each one would come to that place of acknowledging why they were created, the partnership they were created for, that they would acknowledge that they've gone their own way. God, that they've reasoned in their hearts how their way was better than your way, and they've done it that way, and that they would come to the foot of the cross today and put full confidence in what Jesus has done. God, that his death that his burial, that his resurrection, that his ascension would cover them so that your spirit can come and live in them and that they would make the choice daily to take up the yoke of Jesus and live it out in every arena of their lives, in their homes, their schools, neighborhoods, workplaces, church, everywhere. Holy Spirit, Take these truths, put them deep in our hearts. Help us to remember who we are as your sons and daughters. And as a result of that, to carry out the calling that you have put on our lives to be the light of the world. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've never made that commitment or maybe you're making a fresh commitment, one of those steps Can I challenge you to tell someone that before you leave today? I'd love to know that. If you're watching online and you can just put it in the chat or send an email, uh, that'd be great. We've got some resources and tools we'd put in your hands. If you're in the room and you can't catch me personally, jot it on a connect card and then just throw that in the offering basket. But uh, I would love to know that you've made that step so that I can help resource you, so that I can help pray for you and be a part of that journey that you're on with him. And so I want to challenge you to, to do that before you leave today. For those of you that uh, are in the room with us, remember there is a table in the lobby with lots of information. Offering baskets are there. You can put uh, offering in each of those baskets or any of those baskets that you'd like. The T-shirt orders are out there as well. Remember, today's the last day for that. And as always, if you brought a child with you, please make sure you take the right one home. So take your sticker with you and uh, pick them up before you leave. Don't forget lunch right across the street. As soon as we can get it set up and serve, uh, we'll be over there. God bless you as you go today.